Well, are we uh, are we podcasting, Mister? We are podcasting, guys. Check. Well, Tyson, have a good one. Welcome to Dirt Talk. Thank you. We're we're happy to have you. Happy to be here. Yeah, sure. Came all the way out here to talk to us today. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I've been stoked. So, like I said, I've been listening, you know, long time, and uh, I just really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I think there's a lot of valor in it, um, and dude, keep it up. You're knocking it out of the park. Doing our best, doing what we can. Yeah, uh, you you messaged me the other day on Instagram. Sorry, I didn't connect two and two when you messaged me That's saying, "Hey, totally you want to get okay. dinner?" I'm like, I, I I wish I could. And, and I'm like, "Are you going to be in town?" Like, "Yeah, I'm going to be in town for the podcast." I'm like, "Oh, check. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll see you soon." Uh, yeah, no worries, no worries. So you're out of Oklahoma, and uh, since this is dirt talk, you have an excavation company. I do. Yeah, uh, started just very recently. Out of uh, Collinsville, Oklahoma, which we affectionately refer to as God's country out there. Sure. Um, I think everybody does. That's kind of, you know, like if you're from somewhere, it's the best place on earth, right? Yeah. And people not from there just call it really a flyover state. Exactly. Yeah. Or it's the worst. Yeah. Or people it's either say, I'm or from the worst, the worst place. Yeah. I never yeah. 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 Thank God I got out. Uh, yeah. I, totally. uh, uh, and and I, I'm excited to talk to you too because you recently started. You said 2020. Mm-hmm. You put everything together, which is not that long ago. No. And I mean, was that before COVID 2020 or after COVID 2020? It, it was like right at the beginning. So right before beginning. COVID. Yeah. So that's what a surprise there. Um, but everybody, one of the biggest criticisms I have online is that we just talk to uh, big time contractors and we just show off, you know, the big guys and big shovels. And I mean, that's what I was just doing this past weekend was looking at drag lines because drag lines are fucking sick. Um, they are, but they're also, they, they, they criticize it because while they enjoy it and they watch it all and they comment on it and freaking love it, they're also like, can you show us and give us something a little bit more relatable? Well, you were in for a treat today. Because I am not big <laughs> at all. No drag lines? <laughs> Zero of those. Yeah. Yeah. No. So what does your operation look like? Um, all residential and really just anything. Just yeah. taking whatever I can get. Um, you know, I was kind of chatting with Alex earlier and <clears throat> there's, there's really not a whole lot of meat to like the last couple of years other than just kind of how I got here. Sure. And I was, was kind of hoping to tell a little bit of that story just to maybe inspire some other folks to either, you know, change into something they really would rather do yeah. or yeah. Uh, just flirt with the idea of, you know, you don't have to always do what you've always been doing. Sure. And you can be successful in other places. Sure. So. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Maybe you can inspire some folks because we don't do a whole lot of that. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, could, you can uh, pick up the slack around here. Yeah. Um, so where, where did you <clears throat> career wise, where did you start out? Um, career wise started out <clears throat> as God, probably, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, just hanging around construction sites with my uncle, my dad. Um, I grew up, I guess, you know, building like vertical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as a, as a toddler, as a little kid, I just spent ridiculous amount of hours in the sandbox, just playing with little die cast stuff. I mean, I can remember some of my earliest childhood memories. Um, I think we went to Branson 
uh, which is Missouri. It's kind of yeah. like Branson, you know, Missouri. Yeah. If you're around the Midwest, it's kind of a destination. Yeah, but that's, also that's when you grow time. up, you're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of chill. But <laughs> sorry, Branson. Um, anyway, uh, like just unwrapping like birthday gifts and, and getting the little orange toy die cast equipment mm-hmm. stuff was like so stoked. Yeah. I mean, we were literally in like the funnest place ever. And all I wanted to do was go home and play with those stupid little diecast toys. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, <clears throat> where I go back to in terms of the quote unquote origin story of how this all got started. So, um, was your dad a contractor? He was a, a, a GC. Yeah. Worked for a contractor. Um, they built a lot of quality homes. Um, I, I definitely have to, you know, kind of give my uncle a lot of credit. Um, he was the one who dragged me around literally every summer since I was in probably, um, you know, eighth, seventh, eighth grade would go out uh, in Bartlesville, work with him every summer, come back, go to high school and then back out and work for him. And <clears throat> you talk about a perfectionist, like this guy would not stop, would not let anything get in his way of quality. Which, you know, I think you, you, t- you take away from that, we may have not have made the most money ever, but there's never a job that he left that he was disappointed on. Sure. So uh, I really got a lot of my, I guess, you know, not necessarily work ethic, but just quality control type stuff from him. Uh, so he certainly deserves a lot of credit there. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, uh, I, uh, I, I was an athlete in high school, uh, Paul Walter to be specific. Um, didn't that's a, that's a have, niche, a niche high school sport. It is. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you have to be crazy. Yeah. Number one to yeah. do it. Uh, and I think, you know, like the craziness is usefulness, useful uh, at times, but sometimes it, you know, you just, sometimes you don't have to do with craziness sometimes. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, could not had have a better college experience. Um, so from construction in in like high school, moving into college, so I, I've got a basically a scholarship to perform um, at the college level D one track athlete. Um, I wanted I wanted to. Uh, to go out and be an architect or at least, you know, have some sort of architectural training behind myself and, and build custom homes. And the college I went to just didn't offer any of those types of classes. So I was kind of stuck. And for, you know, two and a half, almost, you know, three years, took me five years to graduate, you know, college one, because I think athletics takes a lot of, a lot of time and two, just didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a computer class and I didn't really know anything about computers other than it was like a big mystery. Like, how do they get the little mouse to go around on the screen? Like, that's crazy. Like, mm-hmm. Who would have thought you could do that? Um, so that's, I guess, kind of really where I started the, the comparison between, you know, the physical building world and the virtual building world. You can build things virtually with code, which is kind of the same as you can build things physically with materials. So, sure. um, you know, using that same sort of brain to instead build with code instead of studs and sheetrock and bricks and all that stuff. Because um, I'd done all that, you know, anywhere from elect- electrical, plumbing, roofing, 
framing, trimming, did it all. Um, but it was, it was sort of like a new avenue. Like you, you had to really think about where you were going. Like when you, when you start to build a house, you have a plan and somebody's already figured that out. But when someone says, can you build me this piece of software to do this thing? Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I know what the end result is, but I don't know what the foundation looks like. I don't know what the walls necessarily are going to be built out of. And, and so coding, you really had to use your brain to figure out um, how am I going to get to that end goal? And, and five people can solve that problem five different ways and still end up at the same end result. So it was fun. Um, Yeah. That was, so we would do small coding projects in college and uh, I, I don't know how to code and I had no desire to learn how to code and my brain does not work in a coding fashion whatsoever. So I would, and I think I've talked about this, I would, I would take previous coding projects and make them my own coding projects and probably take, spend more time making it my own than if I would have just figured out how to do it from nothing. Because that's the problem with code is that you can't just copy someone else's solution right? because it's obvious that it's someone else's solution right. because it'll be 30 kids in a class and there'll be 30 different ways of how they accomplish the exact same thing. Right, right. And some people are, are better at it than others. So you'll have, you know, uh, 50 lines of code that do it and the next guy will have 250 lines of code. Sure. That does the exact same thing yeah. because the person with 50 lines, they're just better at it. Mm-hmm. That's all I know about coding. That's my, that's the entirety, that's the extent of my knowledge. Yeah. And programmers are lazy, right? Like they want to do the least amount of work to get to the end result in the fastest way. So laziness is an asset. It is. Yeah. It is. In that sense, it absolutely is. Yeah. Sure. So you start, Uh, you start coding. So yeah. And the athletic advisor gets a hold of me because they're, you know, not only responsible for education, but they've got to keep us eligible. Um, so you know, I take a couple of these classes. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Sit down in his office. And I'm like, okay, I'm changing my major to computer science. He's like, well, shit. <laughs> you're, no, you're not. Um, you just go do, uh, you know, HPE like everybody else does and mm. be a coach uh, in high school or something. I'm like, that, that, I don't know. I don't want to do that. And sure. basically said, you don't have an option. You're going to do that. So basically gave him the finger and left his office and declared computer science, math minor. Um, and man, you can talk about one of the hardest things to do. Like why, why uh, was he giving you that advice because it's a lot more difficult and your grades could potentially yeah. become more variable than something very simple. Yeah. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to trivialize like the coaching aspect because touching people's lives in that way and, and having an impact because, you know, my coach in college probably had the, one of the biggest impacts in my life. And sure. so there's, there's absolutely a, a place for that. But, um, but like coaching, amount, like to be a good coach, you need to want to be there. Like you you, can, want you can tell the coach absolutely. that is so into it and yeah. a coach that is just checking a Going box because the they have to be there. Yeah. It's a huge difference. It is big. So, um, so yeah, I think it was really more of like, how do we keep you eligible? Like you can't really do both because it's, it's an enormous time effort. Like you've got, you got to do practice. You got to do your meets. You're going to be gone. You're traveling. And, and we traveled a ton of the time. So <sighs> trying to code on a bus isn't easy, mm-hmm. um, nor, you know, doing differential equations when you've got, you know, people fighting on a bus is not like the funnest thing ever, but 
Um, yeah, I probably got the, you know, people say A for effort. I got the C for effort because I was not smart at all. Uh, it was just something I wanted to do. And I spent countless, countless hours in those professors' offices working through those complex math problems and, and getting them right and probably failed more tests than um, I really did on paper. But I think out of the kindness and just the effort level that I put in, I was able to graduate with that degree. So Sure. Well, they, they say C's get degrees. That's right. So That's right. you just have to pass your class. <laughs> and I did. Yeah. I mean, so. uh, shoot, I was talking to someone last night and they said, oh, I didn't have the best GPA, so I didn't think I was going to get this job. And I was like, really? Jobs check your, your college GPA? Because at least in construction, it's just like, when can you come to work? Yep. We're not, yep. okay, did you graduate? Or they don't even ask, did you graduate? I've never had to show, I've never, ever, ever had to show proof that I actually have a college degree. Right. Not, not a single time right. have I had to prove to somebody that I actually have a degree. Right. I could just be completely making it up right now. It, it's all about, you know, it's all about performance. Right. Um, yeah, they and, just want someone to do the damn job. Yeah. In order, so I guess I would say it this way in order to get an opportunity in a construction, you've got to have performance to sort of back it up. Like, hey, mm -hmm. if, you know, if you're going to go run an excavator or, or whatever dozer, here's what I've done in the past. Yeah. Um, in order to get an opportunity, uh, you know, when you're coming in sort of brand new to, I guess, some of the other industries that are more cerebral, I guess, is, if you would say, um, you got to have the accolades, uh, you know, air quotes, um, to get you an opportunity to sit in that seat. And then it's about performance. If you don't perform then, then, you know, kind of out. But, yeah. So from, <clears throat> uh, from construction to computers to then realizing that I'd really only used a hammer, uh, <laughs> in my professional or, you know, money-making career, uh, how do I transition from somebody who's been in construction to somebody who's going to be in IT? Mm -hmm. And, um, at this point I, I got married. Um, my wife at the time worked for a restaurant company and, uh, they were hurting, I guess, in the IT side of things. So I said, Hey, why don't you talk to him see if you can't give me a shot. So I started part-time just uh, coding on some accounting systems, um, automating some things and worked myself into a full-time job. When I graduated college, I actually hired on as salary on that same company. So um, spent about nine years there, made my way up to Damn. IT manager. Um, you know, family owned, company owned. It was, uh, it was, I would say it was an okay culture, not like the best ever. How many, how many restaurants were there? Um, so. When I started, there was 15. Uh, when I left, there was 45. Still family owned when you left or did they sell to yeah. somebody? No, still family owned. Really? Yeah. That's pretty good growth for a family owned company. Like yeah, that. It, it's not bad for sure. Because um, usually it's like, yeah, we have 15 successful restaurants and then fucking, you know, Olive Garden comes in and buys them and then scales them to 45 yeah. or like Cheesecake Factory or yeah. it, like Darden, you know, one mm -hmm. of those big random yep. that owns everybody. Exactly. But that's pretty neat. And that's, I guess that's kind of, it's funny you mentioned that because that's kind of what drove me away from the restaurant industry. Um, you know, when it becomes a venture capitalist or private equity game, mm -hmm. the soul sort of leaves. Sure. Um, and then you, you just get into a pure bottom line and how can we prep this brand to sell in three years and make, you know, double our money sort of thing. 
And so it was less about the people and more about, you know, what do we look like externally and how do we sell ourselves? Uh, and I, I, that's, you know, I would say, you know, there was a string of probably uh, un, unfortunate events, which really means that I had some poor choices on who I went to work for. And uh, that sort of really started the process of trying to figure out how to get, you know, either out on my own or start in a different industry. Sure. Uh, so like what, I guess what's the, what's the moment or period of time like where you're, so you're in nine years, which is pretty substantial. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you're a manager. What, what really gets you to say, ah, you know what? I think I should do something completely different. That's way riskier. And basically, you know, go out on my own. It's a good question. And, and I guess before I get to that, I, I should say that the hospitality and uh, restaurant IT taught me some very, very valuable things. Um, I, as you know, like you can't be successful with a restaurant if you don't have good guest service. Mm -hmm. um, really the, you know, the goal for any restaurant is to get and keep more guests. And you can't do that if you're mean or if you have bad customer service or you sell bad food. So there is definitely, um, in theory, theory, of course, if you're the only guy in town, I guess sure. you don't really have a whole lot yeah. of choices, but, um, but there is some great learnings from that industry that I've, I've taken away and continued to use. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things like if you don't get guest service, then might as well find a different industry to work in because mm -hmm. you're not going to be successful. Um, if you don't have, it doesn't matter if you're in IT, if you're in, of course, marketing is important, but uh, if you're in accounting, any of those, if you don't have the customer's best interest at heart first, then it's probably not the right industry for you. Sure. I'm a, I, I, I love the restaurants. I love the restaurant industry. I'm just like a very, I would say I'm a, a passionate person. I, I like a lot of things. And so dirt, that's where I've gravitated to, built a career upon, but there's a lot of other things that I really, really enjoy. And restaurants are one of those things. And I'm in a, a very cool position because I get to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I get to eat at a lot of different restaurants and try a lot of different coffee and see how all sorts of people are doing it. And it's, it's a, a fascinating world because you have these small little single family mom and pop shops. Mm -hmm. Then you have, you know, uh, still family owned businesses. Maybe they have a few. Then you have you're starting to get into that. There's not a whole lot of middle ground because once you get in the middle ground, then you just get purchased by a venture type company. Sure. And then you have the monster, the monster mega restaurants mm -hmm. that are absolutely everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's like the, at least the middle, the middle area is kind of like no man's land. It's really like a lot of small mom and pops that just got absolutely obliterated over the past two years. Yeah. Oh God. And all of that, all of that was just transferred to the really, really big restaurants, mm -hmm. which is a huge bummer. Um, but yeah, and it, it's just, it's a fascinating world. It's it really is. fascinating. Yeah. And, and when you get into the restaurant industry, I think what you find is there's the people get there and they don't leave. So you see a lot of the same people you've worked with over the past. And I've, I've had a career now in, in hospitality for 20 years. So you see a lot of the same people in a lot of different places. So well, a lot of different places because they have pretty much 100% turnover. 100% like, turnover? Like them in retail, just, just brutal turnover. 
but hard to find that experience, you yeah. know, unless you're growing somebody from the very bottom up to, you know, a general manager or even above that, you know, in higher uh, operations positions, you've got to know the, in- the industry intimately in order to be in that spot. So, um, you know, just like me, I've worked at a ton of different brands and so, so is everybody else. Uh, but one thing that's, I think, really awesome about the restaurant IT community is that we're all, we all work together to solve common problems. So I could call a guy over at Darden and say, Hey man, how did you solve this problem? What are you guys mm-hmm. doing for PCI compliance? How are you solving? I mean, what are you doing for security and antivirus? And they're, it, it's an open book. We'll tell you exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. Cause they're all on the same team. You don't really right. compete with other restaurants. Right. And that's like, we were talking about how uh, these big food halls, Mm-hmm. They're 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 helping each other out by all being there. Mm-hmm. It's not competition. It's like why are car dealerships all together? Because they're better off being all on the same street. So you can just go from one to the next to the next to the next without having to drive everywhere. Yeah. So you're attracting more customers in one central location. So it doesn't make sense at face value. Why would you be right next to your quote unquote competitor? But it's like, well, we're all car dealers and we're all on the same team here at the same time. Yeah. And that's something contractors haven't really figured out. Right. Is that you're not competing with the guy over in Kansas and yet they won't tell you shit about how to bid stuff or like you, you start asking some of those questions and everybody just clams right up because yeah. it's some, for whatever reason, top secret. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, part of the, the current success is due to folks that understand and get that um, and have been very open about helping somebody like myself, um, Frank Cunningham, uh, Digging okay on Instagram and, and YouTube. Guy's awesome. I mean, one of the, you know, salt of others type folks. You give him a call. Hey, how's it going? What are you doing these days? And yeah. I said, Frank, I got this problem. How do I solve it? And he's like, well, that's what I do. But, you, you know, you're probably not talking to the best guy to do it. And he always, you know, self-deprecates a little <laughs> sure. bit, which he shouldn't because he's great at what he does. But uh, him and, uh, you know, Brandon over at Elite Earthworks uh, yeah. have helped out yeah. a ton too. Yeah. So, um, you know, having guys like that, um, I guess, you know, if, if I was to give any advice out there to folks getting into this dirt world is to find mentors, not like singular, but plural. Sure. Um, I think you would agree that, you know, having those folks who've been there and done that, um, they just provide a different perspective, uh, and you can kind of color in what you're doing differently, but yeah. also take the experience of those folks who've been in it and done it and use that to create something a little better or at least do the same. Well, and, and, and having it plural is a big, big thing because I think a lot of, I think the whole mentor thing is kind of misunderstood. It's like, totally. you, you find someone that just comes along and takes you under their wing and teaches mm-hmm. you everything, you know, they know, and then you become a great, you know, great at it and you go, you know, succeed. Yeah. It, it's not really like that. I probably have, you know, at this point, a hundred mentors yeah. at any one point in time, right. because it's, uh, you know, I have a lot of, uh, access to a lot of business owners. Now there's a lot of people within our company that I learned from there's uh, social media. So like you can learn from people like Absolutely. You know, elite earthworks. Yeah. I don't talk to him all that much, but right. I'm still looking at what he's doing every yep. day. I'm like, huh, that's a pretty slick way to do it. And, uh, you, you kind of just like, you're better off with as many different perspectives as you possibly can get, because then you take all that and then create the best solution for you, Yes, which is different for any one of those people. Absolutely. Because 
all those 100 mentors are going to solve that problem different, 100 different Going ways. Going back to coding. Yeah. yeah. There's no right way to do it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so you take, you know, you take their collective advice and say, okay, for this, for me, number one, and for this situation, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm going to perform this project. So, sure. Um, see, so yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing is really to have that support. Um, cause the last thing I want to do is, uh, is do a job wrong, right. And have to go back and redo it. Number one, number two, I want to know the right way so that when I see stuff out there in the field, I can point it out mm-hmm. and, and I can just educate myself. So when I'm having those conversations with, you know, potential customer homeowners, um, that we're talking about the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And there's the value there. Uh, so back to, I guess, back to the question, you know, what was that pivotal moment? Right. Um, so between 2015 and 2019, I would say was the biggest pivotal moment. Um, I'm 42 years old. I got to do the math sometimes because I don't remember how old I am. Um, but I, you know, I would say that when you're in a career, you've been in it for such a long time and you don't really have a good feeling about number one, there's a lot of the same people that are doing exactly what you're doing and they're doing it differently and you've got some sort of different success. And, and there's, there's a bit of a, a leadership part of, of what you do too. Right. And you're, and you're constantly like, am I going to make it to VP? Am I going to make it to CIO? Am I going to, and how am I going to, because you know, I think when you have those conversations with those mentors, they're, they're kind of operating at a different level, right? Like not only have they been there, done that, but the ideas that they're sharing or the ways that they're talking about things, you, you know, for me anyway, I just sort of question like, man, I don't know if I would have come up with that on my own. Mm-hmm. And this guy did. Uh, and maybe that's just the big secret is that everybody parrots, you know, everybody else. And so you generally kind of increase knowledge of, one given industry by sharing ideas, whether it's just through, you know, uh, a quick conversation, a chat or yeah. through more of like a, a mentor conversation. Um, so back to, um, uh, that pivotal moment, I had been a part of, uh, a few companies who were more PE, more venture capitalist minded. And, um, I had one real bad employer. It was just like, man, how do I get out of here? Like, I got to get out of here fast and, and not, not having really a, you know, any place to go, just kind of trying to figure out, okay, what's next? You know, do I stay in this career or do I do something else? And, you know, the easy, the easy answer is keep doing what you're doing. Cause you've been somewhat successful. You've got a job, you've got a paycheck. Um, but you know, when, <clears throat> when those private, equity or those venture capitalist companies, the way they operate is, is basically return on investment, right? So that's it. You've got a a board, which typically includes the CEO. And sometimes he's the the head of the board. Sometimes he's not. And then you have kind of a conglomeration of folks who also work for the private equity company or the venture capitalist company. And there's typically some, some folks from outside that work in, in close or same industry. And that sort of makes up the board, right? And when business is bad or there's a problem to solve, it's just strictly a business decision in that boardroom. There's no, there's no real like 
people conversations going on there. Mm-hmm. There's like, how do we achieve this or achieve that without the conversation of, man, you know, people is really where it's at. So, you know, having been on the wrong end of some of those board decisions was really the pivotal moment. It was like, and these guys will go meet and all of a sudden they'll decide to cut, you know, workforce and you're just gone immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, no emotions, no nothing. Just, you know, sayonara here. See you later. Well, I, I, like I tell people this a lot and I just told a bunch of kids this the other night when I was speaking in Montana, it's uh, these big companies, they're good to work at because you mm-hmm. can go get like uh, going to work for a big contractor. You can get a crazy amount of experience. That's yep. like just, I had a ridiculous amount of responsibility at 20 years old mm-hmm. that I would have never had anywhere else if I had, if it hadn't been at a company that big and prestigious. Absolutely. But at the same time, they don't care at all about you. You are a number. Yep. You are just a number. And that's okay. Like as long as you understand that relationship of, hey, I'm going to do everything I can for this company. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, as, as far as, you know, they're paying me. So I'm going to go make sure they're getting their money's worth. You're not taking advantage, but also you're not getting so invested in somebody that's not invested in you. Mm-hmm. It's like a, just a one-sided relationship. Like you're pouring into this relationship, pouring into it, pouring into it, pouring into it. And they're not reciprocating anything back you're going to get fucked at some point. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. It's yep. kind of catch it. gets going to kind of catch up to you. hundred percent. So, but there really is no better place to learn process and procedure. You're right. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so many good takeaways yeah. from that. They're not, they're not there by accident. No, it's like, Oh, they employ 10,000 people. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Well, they must've figured something out <laughs> yeah, they because got it down that now. doesn't happen by accident. Right. Right. So, but it's also, I just see so many people so loyal to companies that have no loyalty th- to them. And it's, you know, just be self-aware of that because these yeah. companies don't care. Yeah. So, uh, so that was really it. I mean, it was just a string of those, I guess, employment experiences that really said, hey, this, this isn't really what I want to do anymore if this is the way it's going to be. So how do I take control of that for myself and, and build something on my own that I control? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I realize there's a lot of other factors. Um, you know, economy is a big one. Um, but, you know, why not try, right? Sure. Um, so I, at this point, you know, have lived pretty much in several different places all over the U.S. Um, 2018, living in Texas. Started, uh, started applying at really any job site I could find. Um, just kind of driving around looking for, you know, that big construction sign on the side of a building and trying to figure out who those guys were, uh, calling, you know, the phone lines, Hey, I'm looking for a part-time job. Um, I can work weekends. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they pretty much all laughed at me at that point. Cause nobody works weekends. Right. Uh, so I didn't find a whole lot of success that way. Um, other than just the process of going through, you know, by elimination, well, okay, there's not an opportunity here. No there um and then uh decided that i was gonna move back home to oklahoma be closer to family um and uh i'm 42 you know my parents at the time were getting up there you know so it's like all right i gotta take care of mom and dad you know and if i want to start a business you know why not because I've got a lot of connections there that I could probably use to my advantage in order to build a, a dirt business. Sure. Um, 
and, and really just kind of putting the two and two together, you know, from that early childhood, like what I really liked to do as a kid. And then, um, turning that into a legitimate business, um, was, was kind of the, kind of the way it all started really. That's the cool thing. One of the cool things about contracting is there's not much barrier to entry. So you're going to become this, you know, highway contractor day one. No, but you can go get a machine with nothing down. If you figure that out, you could either go buy it with nothing down or you can just rent it when you get a job. I mean, you could go, I could go estimate a job tomorrow, a driveway job with absolutely nothing. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you sort of don't understand that at first, but then all of a sudden, you know, you, you go and you put in these applications to rent equipment in a company and you go look at their yard and you've got all this crap. Mm-hmm. Number one, you don't necessarily know what all of it does and, and how to use it all, but you know that there's opportunity there. And, um, you know, I've, I've been fairly fortunate to my, uh, my brother-in-law works for a, uh, a rental company. Um, and he's been doing it for a long time. So he's got a real good idea of what all that stuff does and how to use it. So I've been using some of his knowledge too. And Hey, you know, how, what would I do here? How would I do this? What do you have that would fit this like problem? Right. Sure. Um, so in, I guess right at the beginning of 2020 or 2019, um, I decided that I was not going to just fully leave the restaurant IT side. So I'm working for a great company now. Um, they are venture capitalists to own, but they do have a soul. Um, it is, it's been a phenomenal company to work for. I've had a lot of opportunity. Uh, the full-time job pays the bills. So the dirt business um, is really just, you know, right now it, it's, it's kind of a side thing, but in my mind, it's really where my heart is at, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it's given me a huge opportunity because I, again, the, the business doesn't have to make any money. In fact, in 2020, I think I lost a total of six grand, made, made four, lost six. So mm-hmm. um, investment of about you know, 10 grand into the business there. Um, <sighs> it is nice. I mean, that's... When you don't have the pressure to make money, you can screw up a lot more. You could learn it's a fun. lot. It is fun. And it's, it's it just taking that time to learn all of those lessons now while you don't necessarily have to make money Yeah, pays hugely down the road. Like a lot of, like a lot of our business, for example, we're creating situations that uh, we don't necessarily need to make money at some of the things we're doing. And uh, because it, you know, we're in a situation where it dry, like where we do make money or where we will make money is over here and everything else kind of drives that. And so it's all important. It's all essential without mm-hmm. all of this, that mm-hmm. won't work, but you don't have to make tons of money at everything. And sometimes it's advantageous to not make money at some things yes, to then prop up or learn or, you know, to, you know, to make more on the other side of the business. It's, and that's been the fun part is, is where do you focus that? resource and what do you do next because you know all those decisions add up to success at the end so what comes first you know is it a website or is it equipment you know you kind of have to make that that decision of of where you want to go next but um so you know living in oklahoma um i I think i went to uh went to con expo like had never seen anything like that before in my life you know just so much equipment so many people 
holy shit, this is, this is huge. And never would have even known it. Right. If I yeah. hadn't been interested in the dirt business, but, um, so I did that, uh, just kind of as a learning thing, you know, just walking around asking questions, um, just kind of getting a feel for what, uh, equipment was and, and what you could do with it. Um, my cousin uh, owns a plumbing company. He went out on his own in 2018. And, uh, so I started initially started digging for him. Uh, the neighbor, uh, funny enough, had a, a little Kubota mini X. So small. It was like a 26 machine, something like that. I didn't even have like, like you couldn't even drive it with your feet. This is nice. how small it was. Nice. I just had the two sticks. So started doing, you know, plumbing repairs, um, water leak fixes, drain fixes, um, uh, you know, home improvement type stuff, like adding a drain here or there. Um, and, you know, tried to be as valuable to him as possible, like by getting in the hole, by, you know, going and grabbing the piece of schedule 40 that he needed or yeah. bringing him the Sawzall to cut it or whatever it was, um, you know, being in the trench with the, with literally like the shit in it. Like you are down there and there's shit in the hole and you're trying to, trying to help him through it. And, and so that turned out to be fun because he's a fun guy to work with and they just kind of built from there. So, uh, decided to, uh, to get a little, little mini and I guess before we get all the way there, um, I filed for my LLC in April of 2020 and then lost my mom to suicide in, uh, in, uh, June of, of 2020. And that was huge. Like just talk about like, you know, reverberating, uh, just completely changes your perspective on sure. life and how precious it is. And you shouldn't just do what you've always done yeah. because there's other things out there. And if you're not chasing your heart, you know, like go do that. Go do that. Um, it's, uh, it, it takes courage though to it do, does. It, to do yeah. that. And there's a lot of people, they just get, they just get stuck because yeah. they get the further and further in you get to a career. You're, you're, you're in there, man. Yeah. And you get locked into this thinking of, uh, you know, because you've invested so much into this, you need to stay there. Mm -hmm. because you don't, you only have value here. It's and, a comfort zone. Yeah. And it's just, it's comfortable. And, and I mean, maybe financially you can't exceed that, you know, cause yeah. you're making, uh, the, the term is golden handcuffs. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're screwed because you're making too much money here and you, mm -hmm. you've adjusted your lifestyle, but, uh, it, it, there's no way to, there's no way to do it other than being willing to eat shit for a while. Oh Yeah. But I've never met someone that's regretted it. I've never met someone that's given something up like that, a great career, whatever it is, and you've done it in a different way. You've, you don't even need to give it up. Like you've, you've somewhat hedged, hedged yourself so mm -hmm. that I still have this over here while I'm learning over here. Yep. Um, but I've never met someone that's gone in a completely di different direction and said, wow, that was a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. Huge mistake. Because there's a reason why there's something telling them I belong somewhere else. And that, that gut feeling, it's not, it's not wrong. No, it, it's it, the mental game is legit. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you can't do this stuff without being 
without being really mentally strong. And, and I, I got to say, man, I, I give it up to you for, for being so self-aware. It sounds like you've done a lot of work in the therapist office. I realized, you know, after talking to mentors that there was just a piece missing and, and that mental game was really kind of it. So I dove in headfirst in the, in the whole therapy thing um, sure. at the beginning of 2020 and, and on through. And I think that's really what helped me through the whole, you know, mom situation. Um, so you're in therapy before, before that happened or was that the triggering before, event? Before, really? yeah. It's like, really? you know, I, I'm going to do this whole business thing. Like I got to be oh, somewhat mentally right. So that week at the therapist's office this. might've been, so do you have anything to talk about today? Well, this week, well, well as a matter of fact, yeah. let me tell you, but yeah. at least you had a little bit before. Now it, so it, it's a very, I would say, you know, personal to everybody process, but my process, you know, looked like. A, how do I become more mentally tough? And I I think it's not necessarily mentally tough. It's just more of uh, Mm self-awareness. And when you get there, you sort of know that you're there, but you still have things that you work on all the time. It is a, it is a process. I mean, I, I think I probably took my process a little bit too extreme. I mean, I cut a bunch of friends off. I just did me like focused, focused. I mean, I I sort of put blinders on, if you will. Um, and just focused myself in the direction of how do I change my mind to be what I want it to be. And that, um, it took a ton of work. It was, it was not only just, you know, that one hour a week in the therapist's office, it is countless hours outside of that reading, soaking up resources, um, catching yourself, you know, maybe thinking the wrong way. And, and again, everybody thinks differently, right? So it's, it's a, it's a personal process, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I wanted to just say it's huge that you're doing that. And uh, I think a lot more people should really well, invest in that side. It's, um, I think it's a no-brainer for anybody, anywhere, no matter what they're doing, no matter how, think, uh, how, they, how they think their mental health is. If it's great, if it sucks, if it's in the middle, I think it's just a no-brainer period. Um, it's like, I do it consistently, especially, I very rarely want to actually go to therapy. I very rarely am like, sick. I get to go to therapy today. And I, I will a lot of times be trying to figure out ways out of it, honestly, like mm-hmm. and it, even, even as good as it's been so far, I'll be trying to, ah, you know, I'm pretty busy today. Maybe I'll just cancel it. But then I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is essential, yep. essential because where I want to go is I need an elevated mental state. Mm-hmm. How do I get that? Yep. Well, it takes some fucking work. It does. That's it. Hard. It takes work. a lot of work. And yeah. that's part of it is involving other people in that process and getting that outside perspective and that unbiased point of view, because you're looking at your life through your lens, which is extraordinarily biased. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you perceive life based on all of your experiences and inviting someone into that and saying, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Well, you know, and, and they don't even tell you what they're seeing. They ask you questions to oh, then they, get you to arrive at that right. conclusion. Yeah. Like, Son of a bitch. Yeah. That is all good those, stuff. All those tricky questions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's more of just like a, at least for my, in my, my experience, it's really just a, it's a convert. It's an hour long conversation. Every single, like we're mm-hmm. doing right now. Mm-hmm. Well, so, uh, so what's going on this week? Well, I'm doing this, this, that. Huh? Well, so, so tell me more, tell me more about that. And in, an hour goes by and, and, you're sitting there like, huh, that is pretty slick stuff. Yeah. Or sometimes you go through an hour, you're like, 
check. I check the box mm-hmm. on to the next thing. Yeah. And there's no brain blast or anything like that. But you know, some days you, you go to the gym and you're like, I just nailed that workout. Yeah. I feel so fucking good. I'm killing it. I'm looking good, man. This is awesome. Other days you go to the gym. I don't want to be here. I I'm, I'm just going through the motions right now. I feel like shit. I'm not looking very good. What the hell am I doing? Mm-hmm. But you show up every single day and then all that compounds. It does. It does. And, and for me, it was, you know, just like you said, you're not necessarily looking forward to it. You're trying to figure out ways that, but I was so invested in, in creating this, you know, mental state that, and, and you know, I, I'd done some, it wasn't the first time that I really was like, okay, there's something missing here and I need to figure it out. Like I've listened to, uh, you know, a bunch of Tony wrote. Tony Robbins podcast. And there's a podcast on there. We had Mike Tyson on and they talked about doing the toad, like these crazy trippy drugs that they both did. You go in, it's like a clinical type of atmosphere. You sure. go in, give you this psychedelic drug and they basically, you know, remove fears from your life. Yeah. Um, I don't know specifically what fears that they had, but it's okay. Well, do I need that? I don't know. You know, like, like where do I start and where do I end? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, that I guess it was kind of actually fun, but not knowing what it was going to be at the end. You look at it from the beginning and say, man, this is challenging. You don't necessarily want to open up some of those boxes in there, but yeah. in order to get where you need to go, you got to open the box. Well, and then once, once you open them, they're open. So mm-hmm. now it's like, huh, I figured that thing out yep. based on what happened in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. Now I can start working, I can start utilizing it to my advantage rather than Absolutely. letting it just unconsciously dictate my emotions and things I'm, I'm thinking about. Yeah. Because that's what happens is it's all like everybody, I mean, your childhood, it writes all of this code into you and it's there regardless of what your childhood looked like. Mm-hmm. It's there and it is dictating how you think, how you feel, how you act. And until you start looking back into, okay, how is this actually written? Yeah. How did this get written? You, you just go your whole life just being, I mean, essentially just dictated to by however that code was, was written. And you're still writing more and more code as you go on through your life. 100%. That's, that's changing things here or there. But if you don't go back to that original piece that has influence on everything else, good luck. That's where the self-awareness comes from. Yeah. It's just like understanding all of that puzzle. And then knowing where you're at now and how to get where you want to go based on the puzzle pieces that were put in there. Sure. Yeah. I, there was an analogy the other day I read. It was like, uh, like elephant riding. It's like typically like when you're riding an elephant, the elephant's kind of doing its thing because it's a fucking elephant. Right. And they're very smart. You can't really control an elephant on that well. And so they, they, and, and I'm butchering the entire example. I need to go back and reread it so I can explain it much better. But it was like, like your unconscious mind, your emotions, it's basically like you're like you're riding that elephant and you think you're controlling the elephant, but no, the elephant's just doing whatever the hell it wants to do. And that is essentially like that's that's the worst place you can be mm-hmm. is you thinking you're in control. Mm-hmm. Like you genuinely believing that I I know what's going on yep. here when in reality you don't at all know what's going on there. Yeah. No, that's a very great analogy. Very great analogy. I like that. I like that. Um so Let's see, gosh, you know, after that, man, it was, you know, had some rough times there. Um, I had to take a break from both jobs just to kind of deal with that whole 
experience and process and just process through what had happened. But, you know, I would say that, that, that therapy, the work that I had done before that event was things just happen for reasons sometimes. Yeah. And if I hadn't had that, I don't know what would have happened to be honest. There's a, I read another book called risk and it talks about, um, it, the concept and, and it honestly, it was, it was, it wasn't super well written, so I wouldn't recommend anybody reading it. But the, the main thesis of the book is that you have to build your risk immune system mm-hmm. so that there's no way to really avoid external events mm-hmm. and risk. True. Like there's, there is nothing you could have done to necessarily avoid that. Right. Um, but you can prepare yourself to deal with those events and you can't prepare for war when it's at your doorstep, You're you right. just need to yeah. be prepared for situations and then situations come your way. Well, I'm prepared to handle this mm-hmm. either mentally or physically or whatever it is. And you can just, you, you're, you're so much better off when you like you've put in that work and you've developed that risk immune system so that when things do externally happen to you, you at least are not prepared. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably way overreaching with something that serious, but you at least have a little tolerance there and a little capability to deal with it. You've got tools. Yeah. And you use those tools to your advantage. Um, there's going to be a huge challenge and a huge hill to get past. But if, if you don't have that tool to get you there, it's, you know, it's going to be much more difficult. Sure. And that's, that's what I took away from it. Um, it I, I think literally, you know, two, three days after I went to a job. Um, one, because it was like I was just ready to solidify my direction. And two, it was I needed some space between the processing and 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 just something to keep my mind occupied. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it was, some might call it unhealthy. I would call it actually really healthy. Like when you have the tools and you know when to use the tools and you know like sort of what state you're in and when you're self-aware, you know, what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was just the right thing to do. Took my mind off of things for a while. I got into something that I love, something that, you know, going back to that childhood memory was just a great fun thing. So for me, it was, it was extremely therapeutic, I guess, to be working um, and having to go through that. So. You say you took time off of your job. Yeah. How long did you take off? Uh, I think it was a week and a half. So initially it was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm just going to be a trooper and just kind of get through this. Cause I, I think it'll help. But when I really sat down and asked myself the tough questions, like I knew I wasn't and I had to go back to the boss and say, Hey, I, you know, the circumstances considering I can't do this, I can't be effective. Um, so I'm going to need some time. And they're like, you know what? We expected it. So please take all the time you need. Sure. Yeah, and there's uh like we talk we've talked a lot about this, uh just productivity, safety. Mm-hmm. Like if something like that happens and mm-hmm. you're 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 not at work. No. I mean there there there's you were you were using work in um in a productive manner. You were using it as a break from the terrible place that your mind was probably okay. in. Some people use it as uh just kind of a permanent escape. And you know, just let's just run from this forever, mm-hmm. and we'll just we'll just bury this shit with more and more and more war work. Yeah, and it just and then and then it just gets buried, and it's never revisited, and it's super unhealthy, creates tons of problems. Um, but that's that's an 
like the construction industry, everybody's, you have the, you know, be a man mindset and to be a man, you just got to tough it out. You know, right. I can't act sad. If my wife asked for a divorce, I got to fucking work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your mind's not there. There's no way in hell you're productive. You're probably unsafe, even if you're safe, because your mind's just not there and you can't be passively working safe or productively or whatever it is. So it's in not your best interest, but your employer's best interest to say, hey, I need a, I need a week to just calm the fuck down. Yeah. And that's not, that's not really a thing. No. But, but I think also it teaches you like, you know, as maybe a future employer, that there's lessons that you learn there and there's things that, you know, from a people and soft aspect, you've, you've got, you, you've been through it. So, you know, you know what that person needs. Right, yeah. you've been there and done that, so you have uh, a huge, um, a huge, I guess, respect for the process that that everybody goes through. But to explain the different type of work a little better, you know, as a full time sales engineer for a software company, you've got to go in and put on a show, right? And you've got to be the best when you're talking to those, you know, Dardens or Smoothie Kings or the big, the big folks out there, and you're really trying to sell something. I just wasn't able to put on a show, yeah. and I couldn't give it my all, but to, I guess, give the, the difference there is, is being behind the controls of an excavator where you can't really lose focus, but you're also having fun. It's a different type of work. Yeah. Um, you're not, you're in your own mind at the same time that you're controlling the excavator. It's not like you're talking to people or you're putting on a show or you're doing something a little bit ingenuine. Sure. Not that the sales process is totally ingenuine because, you know, you sell a product, you believe in it and it's, you know, the best product out there. So you, you really do believe in the people and the product, but at the same time, it's, it's not a show. Like you're, you don't have to, you don't have to talk to anybody really when you're behind, you know, in that excavator. I, I don't, I don't have any employees. So when you're yeah. just, when you're just trenching a utility yeah, line, yeah. it's just repetitive stuff. And sometimes it, it can be very therapeutic. So. Yeah. There was a time where I got messed up pretty mentally. It was probably a few years, a few years ago. And we had a sales call that day and I just messaged Dan like, dude, I, the, there's no way in how I'm able to take this call. He's just like, check. I got it. And it was cool because he had it. And, uh, there was, there was a time, um, Last year, where hey, I gotta handle some shit today. We're good. We're good, dude. We're hey. I don't. I'm, I don't even need to. I don't. Even, I need no explanation. I need to go handle some shit. Check. We got it all handled here. Everything's taken care of. I get it. Because if you don't handle that shit, then that's gonna affect everything we have going on here. So, for your sake and just general good business sake, it's yeah. I want you to go handle that, whatever it is, so that. Or, you know, me, I need to go handle my shit so that I can perform for the business. But one comes before the next. Absolutely. So it's as a, uh, someone that works for a business, I think you need to identify that. And then if you're an employer, you also need to identify that. That, hey, I'm better off as an employer and as a company. I'm going to make more money if I am more conscious with where my people are at. Yeah. And if they need time off to take care of something. I need to give them that without having them to sit there and count their fucking vacation days, for example. Mm -hmm. Because if someone, say someone's mom passes away and you give them a week to go back home and handle some shit, that's not vacation time or anything like that. I think that's just one, the right thing to do. But two, from a loyalty standpoint, huge. 
that individual is never going to fucking forget that. Huge. Ever. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. And not that that's how, why you would do it. The intention matters. You sure. to, it has to be genuine intent. But sure. if you genuinely intend to, hey, just take, take the week. Don't worry about vacation. You, it, we're going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Just that alone, what does it cost you as a business? Very negligible amount of money. Sure. Big picture. And now you've just made a permanent impression on that person. Odds are they're not going anywhere. Absolutely right. 100%. Yeah. There's an interesting um, part of that approach that reminds me of, like we've talked about personal responsibility about this morning. Just like um, I read in a book once it said, if you don't deal with your problems, you make everybody else do it for you. And like, you know, when you're saying, you know, giving somebody a week off to deal with some kind of trauma or whatever that is, that's like offering that opportunity to like, take that like personal responsibility, you know, deal, like you're saying, deal with some shit. Yeah. That, that like, that's like in service of that person. That's like caring for that person. And like, you know, even if you're saying, you know, it it costs the business a little bit, like what do you get out of that long term? You know, it's your, your people are taking care of themselves in a way you can't take care of them. And so like, to me, like that's like a great, like encouragement. Um, that like, I don't know, to me, like that's like, that's real caring and real, you know, love for your people and whatever. That's, that's what makes me think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when do you, uh, when do you make the leap? Oh man, I think that's the million dollar question, right? Um, and I've, I've been assuming you'll be a million dollar contractor. (laughs) Assuming, right. Um, no, I mean, it's, I'm just really enjoying the process of getting there right now and trying to think less about the timeline and also you know, really trying to use the resource of a full-time job to my benefit. Sure. Um, you know, the business, like I said, doesn't have to make money because I I'm paying my electric bills, my gas bills and my truck payment. It all comes from the full-time job. And um, yeah, I, I can't, I can't say how blessed I am to have that uh, this opportunity is to operate sort of in both, both worlds. Um, so I don't know. I mean, um, you know, 2021 was super fun. Uh, I did some, you know, for me, big projects, um, a lot of different projects, um, did, uh, a big regrade project of, uh, of a lady's backyard where we took, I think it was, uh, 25 loads of dirt out of her backyard. It was reverse graded towards her house. So yep. we had to oh, nice. cut a huge swell and yeah. put some drainage in and that was super fun. And then I got a, a great customer who was, uh, building the pad and a road for his mobile home. And, um, the, the elevation change where he wanted his pad was drastic. So you know, an 80 foot long mobile home. We, we had to truck in 105 loads of shell to build up a pad for him to put his, his mobile home on. Yeah. Must have been a nice spot. Nice spot to have a mobile home. Oh, it, it, no, it's work. phenomenal. I'm jealous of yeah. the spot. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I think things like that where, you know, you've got the opportunity to reach out to a mentor and say, how would you do this? Mm-hmm. How would you do that? Um, you know, first time ever in a dozer. It, you know, I like, like you said, you figure out what equipment's available and you just go use it. Um, I was a little nervous. Like, you know, I've watched some videos on YouTube and I kind of get the general idea. And then you just go talk to somebody who's run one and you're just like, well, this is kind of how you do it. But you never, you never really get there until you sit in the seat and you operate the controls, you make the thing go forward and backwards. You fuck up a bunch of times. It's, uh, and I have come to a, pr- 
So I fall into this trap of thinking I understand the industry quite well because I get to see a lot of it and I get to talk to a lot of people and I get the benefit of that collective wisdom. Like when we went to North American Coal, for example, I probably asked a thousand questions. I mean, that was three days of whoever I was with. Why is this that? Why is Mm -hmm. this that? Why Mm -hmm. is this that? Why is this that? And you're just getting all of this information and you start thinking, "Hmm, I actually know what's going on here. And then I got the skid steer. I've seen a lot of people run skid steers. I've seen a lot of jobs. I see it on Instagram all the time. Brendan and mm-hmm. fucking Garrett and, yeah. you know, Bridger Snow and all these guys. I think, oh, I can run a skid steer. I get in a skid steer. Clearly, I don't know how to run a skid steer. And you're in it the entire time just scared fucking shitless. Or at least I'm scared shitless. I don't know about these other guys. And maybe their their balls are bigger than mine. And they're not scared their first time in machines. But I'm, I'm fucking terrified in that machine. And... uh uh, but, but that's what it takes. Sure. So you can go, you can go get all the information. You can go talk to all these people, but until you get in the seat of the machine, it's a, it's just a whole different ball game. Oh yeah. It's a whole different ball game. Yeah. And it's even just that little bit of seat time has given me a hundred times more appreciation for what these guys do. Mm-hmm. And it's si- sincerely humbled me like rolling a fucking machine. Remarkably, a remarkably humbling experience. Yeah. Let me tell you. And you handled it though so well, you know, like you said, it, if once you open the box, yeah, exactly. it's open. Well, and I handled it well because I had developed that quote unquote risk immune system. Yeah. I had done the work up to that point where, yeah, I fucked up. Okay. Like, here's what we learned and let's go on down the road because. But not only did you take a personal learning opportunity there. You, you use it in an advantage to talk about it and say, here's the right way to handle a situation like this. Sure. And I think that's, I mean, what more can you do? It's awesome. And I, and I still wish I didn't do it, but it's like, well, it happened and I'm, I'm a fucking idiot. And it was just, like I said, a really good humbling experience. Yeah. But it is nice having those people online too, like uh, Garrett Wilson. Like I've been, you know, there's, I'll have questions on my skits here. Like, hey, Garrett. Um, is it going to be too wet for a Harley rake? He's like, well, you want, you want it, you want it dry because mm-hmm. those things run a lot better dry. Like, yep. I would have never known that. So thank you. I would have tried to be out there in the fucking mud using a Harley rake and it wouldn't have worked out very well, but. And how did he learn it? You know, like, again, it's, you could do it two ways. Um, I think the best way is to talk to somebody and figure it out who's done it. But you can also just go learn the same thing for yourself. You yeah. could run it in the mud and sure. see how it works. Well, I think it's a combination it of, of both things. Absolutely. Like I've done, like, like I said, even just with my short time with the skister, I've done, I've, I've made a lot of stupid fucking mistakes. Like I drove off one time with the trailer and it was, it was on the ball, but I didn't fucking lock oh, yeah. the trailer onto the ball. I've done that two or three times. Probably. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's done that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there driving along on the interstate with my skid steer. Like, holy shit. I didn't, I didn't lock it. And I get out, pull off the interstate, lock it. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. Check. <laughs> when I put the trailer on my truck, the mental checklist, or one time I loaded it off center. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the interstate. That motherfucker was just all over the road. And yeah. it was, I, you know, I drive F-250. It's a big pickup truck. Right. The thing was just getting yanked all over the damn place. It's like, okay, lesson learned. I now understand center of gravity and understand 
how to center things on a fucking trailer. Because if you don't, this is what happens. That it's real life experience and there's, there's sometimes no better way to learn. Well, and Garrett could have said, make sure you lock the trailer onto the ball of your fucking hitch. And I would have said, well, no shit. Of course, I'm always going to do that. Yeah. And then you forget once. You're like, mm-hmm. ah, okay. Yep. There we go. Yep. Thank God something worse didn't happen. I got a CDL last year. And man, um, you know, if you've not done that recently, uh, that is a process. I mean, you've got to pass three written tests and then you have to go into the field and you have to do a physical pre-trip inspection um, beginning to end. There's like, I don't know, 120 different things that you have to point to, say what it does, or what you're checking for. Really? It is involved. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of memorization. Um, and then of course you get in the truck and drive the truck and then you do, you know, a handful of difficult maneuvers in the big semi. Um, but I, I would say if you're starting out and you don't have a CDO, just going through that, like learning what, like you can even apply most of this stuff to a three quarter ton or a one ton truck. Like, I mean, you, there's just a bunch of similarities there and that checklist that you're talking about, you go through that entire time. It's like, I started without a CDL and then when I got the CDL, it's like, okay, now I'm all these things are in my mind of what can happen, what can go wrong. So yeah, I'm going to make a, a quick trip around the trailer just to make sure that, uh, that things locked mm-hmm. safety chains are on. Yeah. Lights are hooked up. Yeah. Well, you look at the safety chains, you're like, why the fuck would I ever need these? This thing's good to go. And then you <laughs> yeah. do something like that. You're right. Like, hmm, oh yeah. I see why these are required mm-hmm. now. Yep. Um, Sick. Check. What do you uh what do you have for equipment? We got a a little E35 Bobcat E35 Mini X. Um I bought that um I probably mid 2021. Uh it just made sense. You know, we're doing a lot of utility work and we're again we we're renting the neighbors a uh, little Kubota and just looked at it and said, man we're paying a lot in rental fees. Should we just go and do this? And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, I'd say that partnership was key to where I'm at right now. You know, having a cousin in the plumbing industry that I was able to do jobs for, he didn't really have the, you know, the time uh, or the finances to go get a machine. I was in a good spot. I had a full-time job. I, I could pay for the machine, even if I didn't have any work. So yeah. um, it, it was very good to have there. Um, I would say, you know, this year it's like, you know, when is the skidster coming? Cause that's the next thing I gotta have. Um, I've used a lot of other big excavators on other jobs, dozers, of course, too. Uh, but I don't know that those really make sense right now. I mean, I think I could absolutely put a skidster to work more, much more than I could either a dozer or a, a bigger excavator. But you know, those things are in my mind. Um, yep. you can't do a clearing job with an E35. You could look at that. So you could try. Could try. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how far you would get, but um, but now, I mean, <clears throat> I think for me, um, you, but, uh, the other big, I would say, uh, bullet point or, or not really bullet point. Um, the other big thing that, that I did right at the end of the year was launch a website. And, um, I kind of took all of that experience that we just talked about to really create what I think is a purpose, um, which is, you know, to create a better end-to-end dirt experience for your customers. Um, sure. You know, you see a lack of communication. You see a lack of transparency. There's just a bunch of things that you see going on out there that you're like, ah, it's kind of shady. 
Mm-hmm. Like there's a way to make money without being shady. Yeah. And I'm going to go do that. Um, and, and I think, you know, sort of sharing in, I guess, the purpose of Better Dirt World kind of fits into there. Um, and, and yeah, man, I'm excited. Uh, we, I did, a, I think, a little over uh, 40 grand in 2021. So I'm hoping to, I'm sorry, 50, uh, right at 50. So I'm hoping to double that this year. We'll see how it goes. Pretty good. It's, um, I'm, I'm glad you came on because you're, you're at a really interesting point in the process. You know this is for you, but you haven't quite made it to full-time, which we talked to a lot of people full-time. I think it's like, well, how'd they get, how'd they get to that point? And you're at that point now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like, like this podcast, everything we do at BuildWit, uh, appealing to the industry, that's great. That's, 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 that's a, a big part of making the dirt world a better place. Reminding people that, hey, what you do is really, really important. And society couldn't function without you. Uh, and don't, don't forget that. And it's, it's a cool world. And if you're miserable, maybe there's a better place for you because you don't have to be miserable here. Right. Um, but uh, so, that, so that's industry. But uh, we have a workforce problem. And if we're just appealing to the industry, we're not solving the workforce problem necessarily. We're reducing turnover and maybe taking those people. And if they're inspired and actually like showing up to work, they're going to talk to their friends and family and kids and maybe grow the industry that way. So maybe there is some workforce development there. But we have, to, we have to reach outside of the dirt world. And you're a good example of you've been in IT and restaurants for, you've, you've had a career in mm-hmm. IT and restaurants that's still not over. Right. And yet you're looking at the dirt world like, no, oh, but that's actually fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And I should go do that. And it's not going to happen by accident. There's, there's unlimited opportunity in the dirt world, but you have to take the bull by the horns and go make it happen. Um, and that's, that's a lot of people don't understand that. They think it's just, oh, well, I, didn't, I can't find a job anywhere. Have you looked? Have you called someone? Have you gone into an office? Because everybody I know is hiring. And just all I'm hearing is you need to be more clever about it. You need to put a little bit more time and effort into it. If you just give, and I told these kids that the, this the, the other day, you just give it a little bit more initiative. Mm-hmm. Like Kimo said in the last episode, I just want people that can show up consistently. Isn't that something? You're already ahead of the game. Yeah. It doesn't take a ton. No. But if you've got a passion for it and you haven't done it, like you got to seriously ask yourself the question. There's, but there's, there's a lot of people that follow us that listen to this. They're in good jobs and other, they say, I'm not in the dirt world, but I love what you have going on. Mm -hmm. Those are the people I hope we can potentially one day get to reconsider. Mm -hmm. Great. You have a great career. Great. You make good money. Uh, you, you, you're very knowledgeable about what you do, but you're still following along looking at videos of bulldozers. And there's a reason why. Yep. And that could be a very viable career for you that is far more fulfilling than where you're at. That could easily earn you the money you're earning currently. It's gonna, you're going to have to take a step back. You're going to sure. have to be smart about it. Oh, yeah. Maybe you have to work two jobs for four fucking years to make it happen. <laughs> but like I said, there's not one single person that has done it that regrets it. Yeah. I, I, I would echo that for sure. Yeah. Very well said. How much did you spend on the website? 3,500. 3,500 bucks. Yeah. So you hired someone to do it for you? Yeah. I, you know, like when you, when you file for your LLC, um, you get these phone calls and yeah. <laughs> every one of them, 
we, a spot has just become open on the front page of Google and we would like to place you there. Yeah. You know, do you own the business? How many customers? They start asking, it's like, look, I, I get, I've been in the tech industry, so I know where you're headed. Like I, if I'm going to do a website, search engine optimization, whatever, I'm going to go local. Uh, Cause I believe just spending your money locally helps get your name out there, but yeah. it also helps the small guys. Sure. Um, I found a guy who, um, not knowing this, I guess, before we sort of created the partnership, so to speak, but, um, was in the military, you know, family guy, uh, and does websites, right. Just trying to get to be the top search guy listing that comes up on a, on Google when you search for Tulsa web designer. Um, and he's done a bunch of great work. Like if you go look at his portfolio, it's legit. And, um, I, you know, couldn't have found a, a better dude to do it. Um, yeah, I've got a little monthly going on with him to just kind of keep it up, sure. uh, plus some hosting. So, um, it's been, it's been awesome. I, I really just wanted, you know, a legitimate web front for the business. When I first did it, you know, I, <clears throat> I know how to do all that stuff. So, you know, I went out and grabbed the domain. Uh, then I went and connected it to Office 365 to get email. Then I went out and published a little, you know, funky little website from Squarespace. Um, but that was about all of the resources that I had at the time. So mm-hmm. kind of put that on pause and then said, okay, well, this is kind of a thing. So we should have a legitimate, you know, web front to what we do. Tell the story a little bit. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that's, it's powerful. I mean, I think for me, probably the most powerful right now, just because I can say that's who we are. You know, that's what we do. Um, but you know, I think for companies like you, it, it makes a lot of sense because these folks really don't know how to tell that story or what they're all about. And, well, and it's, uh, like it's cool spent, stuff. I mean, 3,500 bucks, it takes like half a job to repay that. I mean, yeah, maybe not even that. Yeah. It, it doesn't take very much money to right. get your money back on something like that. It doesn't. Um, and, and I think the ROI is the tricky thing, right? Is, is how do you justify Tell that? Tell me about it. Tell how me about it. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> if you can figure it out, let me know. I will. I will. Yeah. No, I, that's the tricky thing is that 3,500 could have gone to, you know, one of those spinny things on the end of my excavator. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's so many, not even things. close. You're going to be dropping 30 grand, 30 fucking oh, thousand right. dollars insane. on one of those. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be, it's essentially buying another machine Isn't it crazy? and everybody swears by it. So obviously if they're spending money on it, it's well worth it in the production and this and that. But I've known a lot of other, a lot of these big companies, the reason why you don't see it with all these big companies is they, they have a specific way they, they, they spend money and, 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 and assess how effective a piece of equipment is for the sake of their production and yeah. big jobs and this and that. And they look at it and they're like, dude, I can't justify spending $75,000 to put, yeah. Something like that on not even that big of a machine, it just doesn't do it for mm-hmm. me. Maybe that's a mistake, but they're not cheap. I think that's where the you know the power of connections come in. Is like, hey, dude, um, tell me about that. Like, are you really getting your money back out of that thing? They're cool. I mean, you know, I, I had a couple of places where I could use it. I mean, a guy. There's one job specifically. Actually, the guy that did my website, he's like, "Hey, I mean, we can trade some work." I was like, "I'm down." <laughs> nice. Um, but I, you know, at the time, I really didn't have any bandwidth for extra work. So I had a few jobs here and there. I was like, "This is easier if I just pay you, and then we'll get to your work eventually." Um, and he knew that he was probably in for way more than um, what it was going to cost me to build the website anyway. So sure. um, 
but uh, said that he needed basically a few swells. He had really poor drainage on his property, uh, no ditches on the side of his gravel driveways. And he's got a fence literally seven feet away. So, you know, how do you take a skid steer, you know, in there seven feet away and cut a swell on both sides? Well, you need one of those little tilty things on Mm -hmm. the end of your excavator. So. I could see how I could be extremely handy, especially being a one man band, not having anybody in, you know, in the hole, so to speak, or labor, you could use that thing to your advantage real quickly um, and probably pay for itself over a couple, two or three years. So they claim, but all right, well, I appreciate you stopping by. Hey man, I appreciate the opportunity sincerely. Really do. Yeah. Um, thanks for letting me tell my story. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you coming, coming all the way out here to tell it. Uh, I know you're busy. Um, Maybe maybe it'll even get you some work. That would be nice. That would be nice. I, I highly doubt it, but <laughs> maybe you'll get something out of this. Yeah, I, I think um, <laughs> you know, it would love some other connections in the construction industry. Uh, just some other mentors, some folks to talk to. I think that would be key for me. And then, and if there's anything that I could do for you, please let me know. Well, the best. Um, I mean. It, uh, for anybody starting in the industry or anything like that, the best place to start is social media, man. Yeah. It's crazy. The accessibility you can get to some of these yeah. guys, like a Jimmy Starbuck who will be here this afternoon or Ryan Goodfellow or Dane Cotton or uh, Devin Dyer. I mean, you can just message these guys yeah. and they'll probably get back to you and help you out with whatever you need help with. Yeah. I mean, they're just nice human beings or uh, Missy and Trevor Sherwood will be here as well today. Cool. They're just, they're just good people. Uh, Keaton Turner will be on the podcast this Friday. Right. and. Um, you know, when I started out years and years and years ago, I was, I remember Keaton spending a lot of time with me on Instagram, I answering all my questions. That was a cool podcast. It's, um, it's, they're just good people in this world and people are willing to help you out. Yeah. So social media is a great tool. I'm terrible at it. I mean, I get <laughs> so involved in like what's going on, like in the work that I forget to take a picture of the work. Got to make it a habit. Oh man. Oh. Got to make it habitual. No excuses. So, all right, well, we'll, uh, maybe we'll see you in Oklahoma.